Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. And we know that you meet us. We thank you, Lord, for these words of, of, uh, in the Bible that are meant to instruct us, to give us encouragement. We thank you for the fellowship we share as well. And uh, we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Talitha didn't know when she picked this book, but this is, this is, a, this is a very interesting book. It's got a, it's got a combination of, of historical. It's got the heart of God in it. It has ancient Israel and the troubles they caused God. And it has some prophecy. We're going to talk a little bit about the prophecy today in it too as well. So I'll just read the five verses. Then the Lord said to me, go again. He's talking to, uh, to, to Hosea. Love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel, who took, who looked to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. Then I said to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, you sh nor shall you have a man. So too will I be towards you. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or without prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or terebinth. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. We just, we just read Hosea, five verses. It's actually broken up into three different sections, three different sections, and it like your verses in your song, it kind of goes through it. The first, the first section is basically the call to uh, Hosea that God started with in chapter 1. In chapter 1, uh, then the Lord first spoke to Hosea, and he said, Go take to yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So I went to Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, Dib Diblam and she conceived and bore a son. So this is kind of a repeat of the whole book of Hosea. It's just, this is about, about Hosea um, acting just like God acts. That even though his, his, his wife is committing adultery and seeking after other lovers, he is to pursue her, to love her, to care for her, and bring her back, do everything he possibly can to, to bring her back to himself. And so it's, it's kind of a repeat. And then the second part we'll talk a little bit about, he's going to actually go buy her back. And we'll talk about that a little bit because that's, that's kind of radical when you think about it. She's actually, somehow she has found herself in a place where she needs to be purchased as a slave. In fact, the, the 15 shekels of silver and the one half homers of barley is the price of a slave um, and, and, and bring them back. And then the third part, hopefully we'll get to it, and that's actually a little bit of prophecy. And we'll talk about that and talk about the importance of prophecy sometimes in Scripture. So in verse eight, in verse one, it says, go, ahead, go again, love a woman who is loved by lovers and is committing adultery. So God is directing Hosea to go back, and she's committing adultery. She is in the act. This is, not only is she a scarlet woman that goes out and, you know, on Fridays when honey's gone or something like that, you know, finds somebody else, but she is, she is actively living with another man. She's loved by another. She's, she's no longer even at home. She has, she has gone out. He's, he's lost her. Many people would, 
wash their hands, right? I mean, if I was counseling a man and he came to me and he, they, they want to have marriage counseling, and I say, well, I'd love to do a marriage counseling with you, but I need both husband and wife. And I said, well, I can't do it because my wife is living with another man. And I said, I think you need more than counseling. You know, I think that, the, I think that you're beyond counseling. I think that there's, there's something that's so amiss that I don't know if I'm equipped as a pastor to be able to give you the proper counsel. Um, but God's not like that. God says, I want you to go back even though she's living with somebody else. Even though for all intents and purposes, she's, not even, she's no longer your wife. She's, a nut, she's abandoned her first love and she's, she's with another man. And I, I want you to go and, and redeem her, to go bring her back. God has this... This, exactly. God has this, this care and this compassion. So, so how does it relate to us? Well, God is showing how much he loved Israel, how much he loved the people of Israel. He had made a promise to them, and God's a covenant keeper. Even though, the Bible says that even when we're faithful, God is faithful. God continues to be faithful even when we find ourselves completely lost which is great for hope for us. I mean, if we apply this individually to us outside of Israel, I mean, if this applies to Israel, it also applies to the church, right? If it applies to Israel, it definitely applies to us as individuals as well. Even when we find ourselves so far gone, God is still going to pursue us. God is still going to, to find us. We just got done with the parable of the woman and the 10 coins, the 10 silver coins. And she loses one of the coins and she turns on the lights and she sweeps the house and she is frantic until she finds the lost coin. And Jesus told the story, we're told um, in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus is, is telling the story because the, the Pharisees and the scribes were mocking Jesus because he was associating with sinners and tax collectors, which is even worse than a sinner, right? But Jesus was associating with those people that they looked down their noses at. And he tells the story because God has this, this heart of compassion. No one is beyond redemption. No one is, is beyond that. People, the, um, Hosea would have been completely justified, right? Completely justified in the eyes of the religious people, in the eyes of his neighbors, in the eyes of his relatives, to just dismiss Gomer and say, well, good riddance, right? There's no, there, I'm not going to go there anymore. Even... Exactly right. And even in the Bible, even in the matter of divorce, there's, there's two instances in the New Testament that were given the exception that adultery is actually a reason for divorce. And, we, and we, we understand that. We understand that. We understand that in the church, we, when we marry a couple, right? When we marry a couple, we say, this is, this is for life. You know, this is, this is a lifetime commitment. There's what God has joined together, no man is supposed to tear asunder. This, this, is, this is for life. But we understand that people will stray, and when this happens, it could be justified. So this is, I mean, this is, this is significant. You know, Hosea is called to do this. This is, this is not easy. This is not easy. But then, but then um, in, in, the, in the second part, um, where does it say that you're to love her? Um, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who took the other gods and loved the raisin cakes. Um, and then it says in verse 3, and I'm going to just jump there real quick, you shall stay with I say to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall you have a man, so I too will be towards you. So God is also promising his, his faithfulness as well. 
I mean, this is not just bringing you back, okay, under a trial, okay, but you're going to come back, you're going to live under my roof, you're going to follow these rules, and I will be faithful to you. I'll be faithful to you. You know, so often, um, and this is, this is what we find in marriage, and this is used often in marriage counseling, this type of, this, these verses. Um, so often in, in marriage counseling, we find that is, is that if, if one of the spouse harms the other, so often the other person feels justified in, in doing the same and harming the other person as well. You know, well, he did that to me, so I'm justified in doing something as well. Or they'll hold it over them, right? They'll, they'll, they'll provide the forgiveness, but the forgiveness always comes at a cost, you know. I can always remind you that I provided you forgiveness back for that sin 17 years ago, right? When, when you were a dirty rat. <clears throat> Uh, fiddler on the roof. Yeah. I mean, my father talks about the heady days when they had raisin cakes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yep. But he also talks about the days when they had stomach aches. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think the raisin cakes of the pagans says something there that we shouldn't miss. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but there's. Uh, there's an attraction there that's not necessarily good for you. No. There's, um, and, you know, and that's part of it, this, this idea of Israel going after false gods. Remember last, last couple weeks we spent a little time talking about that. There was, we, had, we could have some empathy, let's put it that way. And I told you the story of the rally and turning my hat around is, and, that, and that the gods that they were chasing after Promise them, you know, prosperity. Promise them prosperity. Promise them rain when it needed to rain. Promise them good crops. Promise them fertility. All the things that they were looking for, and it provided them a an opportunity to do something in order to get the favor of the gods with a small g. And we can understand that. And that's one of the things that that we understand why Israel did that. At the same time, it doesn't matter. I mean, God had said, I am the Lord God. You shall have no other gods before me. This is, this is it. You're my people. I'll be your God. You be my people. And this is how you're supposed to act. So even though there was lots of attraction to do something beyond what the Bible, what God wanted them to do, God has set limits, has set limits, which is, which is a good reminder to us. Sometimes some of the things that we chase after seem like they're pretty good. They, they seem like, they're, you know, that's just something I'd, I'd like to be able to do. And well, the Bible says that, you know, sin is satisfying for a, for, for a season. You know, it, it, it feels good in, until it comes back to you. Um, so just because it feels good doesn't mean we should be chasing after it. And this is a great example, again, it's God that is doing the chasing. God is doing the redemption. It isn't that, it isn't that Gomer came back knocking on the door saying, will you take me back? You know, Hosea goes out, to, goes out to her. Hosea demonstrates his love to go over and restores her through a purchase. Verse 2, so I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and one and a half homers of barley. <clears throat> um, I, I looked that up and I found out, and I didn't know this. Pastor Hal, maybe you knew it. Um, but I didn't, I didn't remember that barley was part of the sacrificial system. And I, I guess I, I remember, I kind of when they said that, when I was reading this in a commentary, um, this is what it says. It says, let me, just, let me just read it for you because it was so well 
spoken of. So let me read it to you. Grain offering. And I knew the grain offering, but barley had some a specific. It says, here we learn that love is rarely free. Love comes at a price. It costs something to love. Here in the verse, we can see that it costs Hosea 15 shekels of silver and five bushels of barley, just over 40 gallons, which would have cost another 15 shekels. So we now have the purchase price of a slave, which is 30 shekels of silver. So his winning bid is paid half in silver, half in barley. Barley was given in the sacrificial system in, in Numbers 5. If a wife is suspected of unfaithfulness, then she's tested before the priest and a barley sacrifice was given to the Lord. It's like, oh, isn't that neat? Isn't that cool how in Hosea, they bring back the sacrificial system that was given in Deuteronomy by Moses and they happen to say, purchase her with not only the shekels of silver, but also barley because barley was given as a testimony for somebody that was, had been unfaithful. Now, we talked about this how before, what would this be? How much is 30 pieces of silver? And, and, you know, it depends on who you read on how much that is. It could have been as little as one or two months wages or a whole year's wages, you know, figure. It's, it's significant, but it isn't that significant. This was the price of a slave, and slaves were in such great quantity during this time that they, I mean, the price and demand, right? I mean, there were so many people that were slaves, the price of a slave wasn't that expensive. This was also the same price as a, a person that was gored by an ox. The, the price for that was, that was 30 shekels, 30 shekels of silver. So it wasn't that high of a price. It wasn't this, this huge price, but it was a price that had to be paid. But that was the price for Christ. Exactly. That was the price that Judas received uh, when he betrayed uh, Christ was 30 pieces of silver. Um, Judas gave away being one of the apostles, being one of the favored ones, one of the saints of old, one of the people that followed Jesus, and gave it all up for what could have been nothing much more than a week or two worth of, worth of wages. I mean, it's 15 shekels, 15 shekels of silver. It wasn't much. One of the, one of the things that's interesting also is that this price is paid for an individual. And we sometimes have to remember that that when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, he paid the price of the world, paid for the sin of the world, but he paid also for our individual sins. So we've been redeemed. We've been purchased with a price. There's a price that was paid for Israel, for Gomer, but at the same time, we're individually purchased. Uh, we're not cheap goods. We've been actually purchased by, by God. Now, what's interesting is this whole idea, I want to go a little bit into this idea that she has to be paid for, okay, paid for. And people struggle with this a little bit. How did she find herself being paid for? Well, we know that in modern-day slavery, modern-day slavery is often sex, the sex trades. And these women that are in the sex trades, that there's a ministry that actually goes out and purchases these women. They purchase them in places like Indonesia. And they'll raise money in the United States and they'll purchase these women in Indonesia to get them out of the slave trade. Now, they've been criticized. They've been criticized by a lot of people saying, you're participating. You're actually participating in, and paying it. And they say, well, here's the thing. It's like ransom. It's right. You're paying it's ransom. ransom. Yep. You're, you're, you're being ransomed. They said, well, that's true, but we're getting them out. And they've gotten literally thousands of women out of the sex trade by paying the ransom. So 
when we look back at the time of, of, of this, which is the time of Hosea, which is around 600, 600 BC, something like that, um, to the modern ages, we take a look at slavery. And basically there were, there were three waves that people got into slavery. Uh, the first one was through conquest, and we see this even in the Old Testament. But it was not unusual for a people group to war against another people group. One city with a king to take up arms and conquer another city. And when they conquered the other city, they would pillage. And they would take the people that they wanted, and they would be slaves. We saw that also in the book of, of uh, Joshua and as well as Judges, that when God told them to come in and take the territory and wipe the people out, they thought it would be better, more economical, to just bring them into bondage. And of course, that's exactly why we have the problem that Hosea was faced with. The people were around and they led Israel into to, to sinning. But that's another way that people got into slavery, was they would be, they would be conquered. Um, the second way would be their children. So in the, if you take a look at the American um, antebellum days, the, the days before, before the, uh, before the uh, Emancipation Proclamation, in the days of slavery, if a, if a man had a slave and that slave had children, that the people that were born of slavery were also slaves. So the second way that people could get into slavery was by being born into slavery. The third way was actually the more popular way. And by the time the Roman Empire was, was running, uh, as much as 50 to 60% of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. And it was a different type of slavery than we think of um, in the old American history. It was an economic slavery. These were people that was, this was employment. And they belonged to a household of some kind. And they would sell themselves into the household. Or sometimes they would, they would either have debts or their family would sell off their children getting them being placed into a good home, into a good place where they would be slaves. They would be indentured servants. Indentured servants. Exactly right. They, they literally voluntarily sold themselves into servitude. Yeah. typically only for a certain time. Usually a, a short period of time. You know, uh, most people that, that, uh, that know history real well, we know that in the United States there were a lot of, of indentured servants that came from Ireland and England as well. Uh, that there were a lot of, a lot of, if you have Irish blood in you, it very well could be that one of the ways that you got here was because you came as an indentured servant. And you'd work in the mines, or you'd work in the forest, or you'd work as a household servant or whatever. And again, like as Joe said, you'd come for a period of time. Maybe it was five years or seven years, but you would be, be an indentured servant. So, so Gomer's in that part, okay? There, there was, was no conquest. This was... This was that she wasn't born a slave. She, was, she found herself in there, just as women today in the sex trades find themselves indentured or under slavery because they've got somebody that's holding it over them. So Jesus, we, this, this 30 pieces of silver, Jesus was the one that was sold for 30 pieces of silver. You know, we, dis, we despise Judas, um, and we cast aspersions on the Jewish leaders, uh, including with the uh, colluding with the Russian, the Romans. Uh, but it's a, a fact that it's a picture. It's a picture of us. We ourselves are in need of redemption. And just as Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, gave his life for 30 pieces of silver, we're all in need of redemption. We all are in need of that kind of redemption. Um, I don't want to, I probably don't need to go there, but there's, a, there's a, a talk we can have someday that we actually need redemption more than we need repentance.
You know, sometimes we think that repenting is all we need. Well, repentance is fine, but you can repent and repent and repent, but you need to be redeemed. You need to give yourself to God. You need, you've, been, you've been purchased with a price, but until you understand that that price has been paid for you. Redemption is transactional. That's right. That's right. The They're sinners. So this, this paints a picture of, of not only what God did with Israel, uh, but also very much it's, it's the New Testament. Paul refers to this often in Romans chapter 3, it's a great J chapter. Paul says, verse 21, he says, But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus, to all and on all who believe. For there's no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God sent forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance God has passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ Jesus. And then in Ephesians 1, Paul says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So this is, this is wonderful because in this, in this book of Hosea, God is clearly showing his love for Israel, his covenant people. But at the same time, Paul is appro appropriating the same the same idea of redemption and explaining that to us individually. We have this, that same redemption. We have that same opportunity. You know, God is redeeming his people through Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was the payment that was made in order for God to re redeem us as well. Hosea is quoted a couple of times in the, uh, in the New Testament. It's, it's, one of the, it's, it's one of the, again, prophetic type books. Uh, that's quoted. In fact, we're going to get into that now in the next section as well. Um, in verses Hosea three four, it says, it says, uh, well, let's go for three first of all. I should say to her, you shall stay with me many days. You shall not play the harlot, nor shall have a man. So too will I be towards you. Again, this is this faithfulness, which is it's. This isn't a condition. This is an ex expectation. There's a difference between a condition and expectation. A condition means that as long as you do this, then then this this exists. An expectation is this is a reasonable expectation. This is what you were supposed to do. You're supposed to be faithful. You're going to not have any other man. You're going to remember who your husband is. Israel, you're supposed to remember who your God is. It's not a condition of the covenant. It's an expectation of the covenant of, of, the covenant of God. And then God. And then he says, and I too will be towards you, meaning that faithfulness, that faithfulness that God has towards Israel is exemplified it again with Homer, with uh, with uh, Hosea and and Gomer. This this faithfulness between the two of them. Verse verse four is interesting, and talk about talk about uh, quoting in the New Testament. For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or without prince. Now, there's in this language, and you'll see this often in the Old Testament. You'll see that the language kind of changes. It all of a sudden changes. It's it's, it's, it's talking about something, but then there's this, almost this pause, and it says something else. So you can see that Hosea's kind of paused now, talking about Gomer, and he says, For the children of Israel shall abide many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or sacred pillar, without ephod or teraphim. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. 
So in verse 4, he says some things about them particularly that would be interesting to them. He says that they're going to be without king or prince. Now remember, during the time when Hosea is teaching, there is a king. Okay? This is during Jeroboam II, okay, which was in, in Israel, a prosperous time in Israel, but they had a king. They, they had a king. Years. This is the end of a period of time. No temple. No temple. And no, so it's without king or prince, the fallen state Israel will not have the national or political leadership she needs. Without sacrifice or sacred pillars, in her fallen state Israel will not have the spiritual services she needs. No temple. There's no temple. There's no priesthood. They are a, they are a people without a country, without a temple. Ephod is, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a priestly garment. Um, and a, a teraphim, teraphim is, is something that you predict the future with. It's, it's, it's like rolling dice. It's, exactly. It, 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 it helps them, it helps them kind of predict the future, you know. It's magic eight ball is a, is a good way of looking at it. And they used it a lot. I mean, they, they really did. I mean, that's, that's how they, that's how God spoke often to the people of Israel is through these, these uh, magic eight balls, these, these ways of being able to do it. What I find very interesting is verse 5, the restored state of Israel. So it's talking about a time that was coming. They would be, they would be decimated. The Babylonians would come in and, I'm sorry, the Assyrians, right? The Assyrians came in. Pastor, I think so. The Assyrians came in and took care of Israel, and then the Babylonians later took care of Judah. So they came in and they, they, they took off, they, 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 they killed the people, they, they, they captured many of them, they brought them into slavery, and that's how we end up with Samaria. Samaria became half Jewish and half pagan, it was a mixed race, and this was the, the fate of the people. Uh, but remember, any time that the Bible talks about Israel, we can also assume that it's talking about Judah as well. Um, I don't subscribe to the theory that the 10 tribes, the northern, 10 northern tribes were lost, that they're gone. Nobody knows where they are. And there, there's a couple of good reasons for that. Number one is we see in the book of Revelation that there's 12,000 that are, are sealed from every tribe. Uh, we know that in, um, uh, I'm trying to think, there's, um, there's, there's, there's people in um, in, um, in Judah with the name Levi. Levi is the tribe of Levi. Um, there was also, I, there's an obscure reference, I'm trying to think where it was. There was a, there's a couple of references of other people that are other tribes in the New Testament. And they knew what they were. They knew they were of those tribes. Now, today, no. I mean, my, my son-in-law is Jewish. I, he can't tell you what, what tribe they're from. I mean, they... Pardon me? Paul was from the tribe of Benjamin. That's right. So, and, and remember, uh, Judah and Benjamin were the two tribes left in the south. And the question is, what about the other ten? But I don't, I don't subscribe to the fact that they're lost. Um, there's, there's some Did you know there's some, some religions that are built on that? This Anglo-Israelism um, uh, features that the, the lost tribes of Jews, the Jewish people, ended up becoming the, became Britain. Herbert W. Armstrong. Herbert W. Armstrong, yeah, the Worldwide Church of God. There's, well, I mean, and, and the reason this was done is when you took a look at, at prophecy in the world history and you saw England that the sun didn't set on, on the, the, British, the Empire. British Empire, that Britain ruled the waves and they were, I mean, they, not only the British, the Brits, but also the people that spoke English. I mean, you had the United States, so you had this amazing thing. Well, it had to be in the Bible somewhere, so 
Well, that's Israel. That's Israel. Those are ten tribes. Now, the other religion that does it is Mormonism. Mormonism, if you understand Mormonism, um, they believe that Jesus, after he ascended, or after he, would, he ascended into heaven, he stopped off in the United States and visited the lost ten tribes of Israel. And, you know, that spoke to them and told them great things. And that's why they've been digging up Utah and Nevada. They've been digging up all of the western part of the country, trying to find the history of these, these people, this, this people group that, just, that came from Israel. Golden glasses. <laughs> Verse 4 talks about the days without king or without sacrifice or without ephod or teraphim. But then verse 5 is a, is a, is, is a verse that is, is taken in the Bible as being prophetic. and says, Afterwards the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. There is, a, there is a teaching that I prescribe to. It's, and here's the thing, is that we, we try not to get into isms. We try not to split the denominational hairs and things like that. But there's, there's, a, there's, a, a, there's a good group, a, a, a large percentage of the evangelical churches that, that take these prophecies of Israel pretty seriously. Pretty seriously. And, and we basically look at that the promises of Israel that were given to Abraham and to Israel about the fulfillment and what the Messiah was supposed to do and felt that the Jewish people weren't shortchanged. We're still waiting for that, that final fulfillment. So we take a look at things like the nation of Israel in 1948 um, as being historically and prophetically significant. Now, you don't have to. You don't have to. You can be a great Bible scholar and understand this and basically feel that God is, the, that Israel is basically, when you want to take a look at Israel, just take a look at the church and all of these promises would be made to the church. At the same time, there's a lot of prophecy that I like to take pretty literally. And as a result, this is, this is one of those verses. So what this means is that afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Well, David is often referred to that, you know, as a type of Christ, a Messiah figure. So we could take a look at it and say, well, you know, when we see David, their king, we're really talking about the second coming of Christ, that, that Christ will come and, and reign, and as a result, that's David, their king. But at the same time, and this is what I just want to consider, is that there are a number of verses that indicate that David personally will reign in Jerusalem, and at the same time that Christ is the Messiah. You have kind of like two leaders at the same time. I'll just... I'll just just for your, your amusement, Hosea 3.5, Afterwards shall the children of Israel return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. Jeremiah 39 says, And they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. In Ezekiel it says, And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. And he shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my, savit, my servant David, a prince, will be among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. In Ezekiel 37, it says, And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. They shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein. A number of, of verses in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that indicate that, that we could actually take this pretty literally pretty literally, that in addition to Israel um, coming of age, that there will be a time when the Lord reigns 
reigns from Israel, but that David actually comes back. Now, that's not too much of a stretch. If, if we believe, if we believe, and most Christians believe that we will be resurrected, right? It isn't just heaven that we're going to, disembodied spirits kind of floating around, that we believe in a bodily resurrection. If we believe in a bodily resurrection, and we believe that there's some way that the ancient Jews, some of them at least, the saints of old, right? People like Hosea, people like David, people like Solomon, some of these people of old, Isaiah, Elijah, some of these people, some of them find a way into the kingdom one way or the other. We're not going to go down that rabbit path of how that happens. And they're going to be resurrected too. Then David will be resurrected. And if David is resurrected during some time, then the opportunity for him to actually reign and fulfillment of these scriptures is, is very plausible. Remember that prophecy, and I love prophecy. You guys don't know I love prophecy. But prophecy is always speculative. And here's the thing. All good prophecy, all good prophecy teachers are going to encourage you to seek the Lord and to be seek, seek his favor and to be able to do the things that you're supposed to be able to do. So prophecy doesn't change the way we're supposed to treat each other, the way we're supposed to understand our redemption, nor does it understand who we are. Prophecy speculates on the future. And remember, this is exactly why, why, we had, why the Jews had so much trouble when Jesus came on the scene, because they had an expectation that Jesus was going to fulfill specifically certain prophetic things, and they were hanging on to that. And the problem is, is if you're hanging on to that so much that it, it destroys the opportunity to understand who you are in Christ, then it's not profitable. It's not profitable at all. You want to be able to say, here's, here's what I think it might be saying, but at the same time, God's going to work this out. We'll find out. You know, Hal and I might differ on some of our, our prophetic beliefs, which I know we do, but we're going to find out together. <laughs> yeah. The, um, and that's, and that going back on, on prophecy is this, is that, you know, prophecy is a, 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 a two-headed coin. And it's a, it's, a, it's a great, it's, prophecy is very profitable to be able to spend time in the scriptures and to be able to understand that Jesus is coming back, that there's certain things we can agree on. There's certain things that are pretty crystal clear. It gives us great hope because unlike people that don't have the Bible and don't have the hope of Jesus, uh, we have a real hope. We know that this is not our home, that it's actually going to be better. Paul said it would be better that I depart. Not worse, better. Well, I'd like something better. And the, the issue with prophecy is if we get too specific, we get disappointed, or all of a sudden people start feeling that they start losing hope. And that's not the point of prophecy. If it gets too specific and it doesn't happen, people might say, well, never mind. Yeah, then forget it. Forget the gospel. And, forget and, and Peter, Peter talks about it in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. Scoffers scoff. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things will continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But they del deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago. And then it goes on talking about, it is sure, it's going to come back. There's going to be scoffers coming because Harold Camping and all kinds of people have predicted a certain date and stuff like that. But here's the thing, God, God is good. And God's going God's to fulfill prophecy the way he's going to fulfill prophecy. And also, if we take a look at the first coming of Jesus Christ, and we take a look at the specific verses that are referenced, you can see how difficult it is to pull those verses out and to be able to see how they were literally fulfilled. You know, 
We, we have to give a lot of grace to those people, <laughs> understanding that this little obscure verse here and there and there, we put it together. Now, there are certain verses, like Isaiah 53, there are certain verses that are very, very clear. But a lot of the other verses are pretty, pretty obscure. It's just a, a phrase here or there that says something that, that is fulfilled in, in Jesus. A little bit, excuse me, a little bit goes a long way. That's for yes. sure. Well, let's pray. The hour is late, so we'll pray and get together next week. So, Father God, we want to thank you for the opportunity to get together like this. We, we love being able to... You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org. Dialogue.org.